Hello, my studio teacher friends. Welcome to the Beyond Measure podcast, where this summer we are taking a little tour through my bookshelves and highlighting some of my very favorite reads. We're talking about the books that have made the most impact on me as a teacher. And today, oh yeah, I've got such a good one for you. Much like the first week in this series, when we talked about James Clear's Atomic Habits, I happen to think today's feature should be required reading for all human beings. It has helped me understand myself in profound ways, and it's helped me approach my students of all ages with more understanding. In fact, this is a book I reread every January because I am that adamant it holds an exceptional level of wisdom. Curious what powerhouse of a book I'm talking about? <laughs> well, let's get to it then. I am your host, Christina Whitlock, and this is episode 131 of the Beyond Measure podcast. Maybe you have figured it out already, but today we are talking about The Gifts of Imperfection by the incomparable researcher Brene Brown. This is not the first time I have sung Brene Brown's praises here on the podcast, but much like I said about James Clear in that very popular Atomic Habits episode, Brene Brown lives up to the hype. She is real in her humanity, but she is also thorough in her research, and that is a winning combination in my eyes. The Gifts of Imperfection is really a quick read. It's not a large book. Like, you can breeze through it in a day if you really wanted to, though I like to read it a little more slowly and savor each of the contemplations that she brings to my mind. As I've mentioned in this series, I am not here to give you an overview of the entire book or to try to summarize it in any way. I'm just highlighting three of my favorite takeaways and then calling it a day. If it's not evident already, I would strongly recommend picking this one up at the library or investing in your own copy. In short, this book is written with the aim of helping its readers cultivate what Brene Brown has dubbed a wholehearted life. She uses that term, wholehearted, to encompass a great many things. But essentially, this term describes people who flourish in their lives regardless of circumstance. It's the people who find contentment and joy and purpose and success. It's knowing and understanding yourself. But even more than that, it's also being kind and gentle and loving towards yourself. And I mean, I'm struggling here to put this in words that doesn't make it sound like just another cheesy self-help book about loving yourself. <laughs> but what Brene reveals in this book is the fact that she is not a how-to kind of person. She is not telling us how to be joyful or how to find contentment, but instead she tells us about the things that get in the way of those goals. 
And she does so in a very relatable voice. Let's get to my first takeaway, shall we? (laughs) Coming from one of the very early parts of chapter one. Shame hates it when we reach out and tell our story. Now, it feels impossible to not talk about shame when you reference Brene Brown's work, because that research is very much where she got her start. I'm working on a whole presentation geared around shame and guilt in the piano studio, so I'm sure that I will be talking more in depth about this one on the podcast sometime in the future. But here's the big takeaway from today. When you start to feel shame about anything, whether it's something you actually did poorly or if you're putting it on yourself without any real justification, either way, you need to share those feelings with somebody. Shame only survives in silence. I feel like this sounds really heavy, unusually heavy probably for this podcast, and it could be, but let me give you a scenario that many of you can relate to. Let's say, for whatever reason, you are feeling like you are not well enough equipped to deal with a specific student. Maybe they are advancing in their skills and you catch yourself wondering if you really do know enough to continue teaching them. Or maybe they have some behavioral concerns and you wonder if you really are patient enough to deal with them. (laughs) Maybe let's look at a completely different scenario. Let's say you have other colleagues who are completing degrees and certifications and all of those things, and you are starting to feel inept because you don't hold those qualifications. The first thing you need to do in any of those cases is talk to somebody about it. (laughs) Now, someone wise, of course, you don't need to just open your heart up to anyone, but you do have to find someone who you can trust to say these things out loud to. You have to call out those feelings of insecurity. Shame does not survive being brought out into the open. It only grows inside the confines of your own head. So that advancing student might need a different teacher, but they might not. And your behaviorally challenged student may not be the right fit for you, or maybe they are. That third scenario, (laughs) you would benefit from further education. (laughs) Make no mistake, because we all do. But taking it through with a friend and talking it through with a trusted thought partner is going to help you decide just how urgent that need is. And in all of those scenarios, the absolute worst thing you could do is let those thoughts just swim around your head unattended. Maybe you don't even consider those kinds of self-doubt to be shame, but that's exactly what they are. And whether it's through a counselor, a friend, or a spouse, or whoever, you've got to get those ideas out into the open, okay? (laughs) So whether you are stewing about a performance that didn't go the way you wanted it to, or if you feel like you've mishandled a conversation with a student's parent, or whatever the case may be, find someone who offers wise counsel and talk to them about it. You may have been in the wrong, 
or maybe you weren't. But the point is not to alleviate yourself from feeling any kind of blame. It's about getting that shame out into the open so you can address it. Okay, that was point number one for today. Takeaway number two from the gifts of imperfection. (laughs) Let's talk about numbing. Brene addresses the act of numbing in a chapter that's focused on creating a resilient spirit. Now, we all know that resilience happens to be something we need an abundance of in musician world, and it's something that I feel really good about teaching my students to help find. But A significant portion of this chapter on creating a resilient spirit is dedicated to the ways in which we numb ourselves or attempt to take the edge off of life when we question our worthiness. Now, of course, we all instantly think about those who are caught up in substance abuse or self-harm or these very dangerous behaviors. And those are instances of numbing, uh, combined with addiction, of course. And the truth is, though, most of us, whether it's a conscious decision or not, most of us do engage in activities that help us check out from life when it feels uncomfortable. For me, in teacher world, (laughs) that is just exhaustion after pouring every ounce of myself into other human beings for hours a day. Oftentimes, when my last student leaves for the evening, all I want to do is mentally check out. My brain is done, (laughs) my empathy tank feels empty, and my problem-solving capacities are just all dried up. (laughs) Whatever our numbing activity of choice is, whether it's substance or screen time or activities or whatever, the problem is... When we dull negative emotions, we also dull the positive ones. Brene says, when we numb the dark, we numb the light. And this, my friends, is a real issue. This notion that dulling the bad also dulls the good, like it really worries me, right? Because when we strip ourselves of the best feelings in life, It makes those negative emotions even more compelling. And I don't think it's pushing it to realize that this is a strong contributing factor to the increasing rates of anxiety and depression we're seeing all over the place. If we are not feeling those natural highs of life, like joy and celebration and play and connection, well, our worlds are pretty dim places. And furthermore, I bring this up here because our students are doing the same thing. Do you know it can take between 20 and 30 minutes for any of us to fully acclimate back to the real world after spending time on our devices? It's called the switch cost effect, and it applies to any scenario where you are switching from one goal to another. You'll see this once you start looking for it, but think about those students who play games on their phone on the drive to their piano lesson and enter your studio still playing that game, and they only put their phone away when it's time to start the lesson. Well, their lessons rarely get off to a stellar start, right? (laughs) 
In fact, by the time you really start to get access to their brain at full capacity, the lesson is almost over. Hear me. This is not a rant against students and their devices, and I am not suggesting you start telling studio parents how to govern their children's cell phones. That's just not your territory. I bring it up because I happen to think that we are just as guilty. Because if we are scrolling our own cell phones up until that moment that a student walks in the door, we are also not as capable as we think we are to flip that switch into teacher mode. And screens are only one of the culprits. Regardless of what has happened prior to the start of a lesson, this is why a proper mental and physical warm-up at the start of your lesson is incredibly necessary. All parties involved need time and effort to get in the desired zone for learning. Okay, friends, here comes takeaway number three from the Gifts of Imperfection, and it has to do with creativity. The Gifts of Imperfection posits this idea that creativity dies in the presence of comparison. Ooh, it's a really interesting take on why we lose our creative impulses as we, quote, grow up. Brene recalls this period of time in her childhood when her family had fewer financial resources, and she recalls her mother creating things like all the time, sewing and painting and baking and all the things. But after a family move and a positive change in their economic status, she recalls many of those things going away. And when her mother stopped sewing and painting and baking, Brene, too, stopped creating all the things that she liked to create. She would tell others that she was not, quote, the creative type, while on the inside she was thinking, who has time for painting and scrapbooking and photography when the real work of achieving and accomplishing needs to be done? <laughs> Whew, oh, ouch, right? <laughs> I wish I could say that I did not resonate with her on that, but I really do. Even as someone who acknowledges myself as a creative person, I confess there have been many times where I have decided I did not have time to pursue my creative desires in the name of, quote, productivity or, you know, getting obligations met. And what Brene suggests in this chapter of her book is that her mother's creativity was put on hold as they moved to a neighborhood where homes tended to look more like hotel lobbies and their standards of dress became a little more uniform. There became this vision of what the good life looked like, and creativity had very little place in it. Isn't this kind of fascinating? I mean, we all know that we live in a world where comparison envy is more real than ever. We all know the harmful effects of social media and the results of taking in everyone's highlight reel every day, right? But until recently, I hadn't really considered how that limited my creativity. Here's a confession. I talk to my students 
about the joys and gifts of sharing music with others all the time. (laughs) But when it comes to the online world, I share very little of that part of myself or my students. I just don't like being part of that comparison for better or for worse. And that's kind of a mixed bag. It's really okay that I don't, but there are times when I should do better. Like a few years ago, there was this challenge going around Instagram where people were to share like an off-the-cuff 30-second improvisation at their instrument. And I was kind of intrigued. I really liked this idea of just showing up as you are and sharing whatever comes to your heart. Well, I did it. I managed to record this snippet of an improvisation that I was like actually really proud of, and I was eager to share it. But do you know what I made the mistake of doing? <laughs> I looked up the hashtag and I started watching what other people people were already sharing. And I was immediately discouraged. This thing that I created that I thought was going to be the best just didn't seem to measure up to what other people were sharing. And I didn't post it. Ah, I know, I know. Here I was all about this sentiment about sharing your art. and. I let comparison get in my way. This example is like so on the nose, but there are a million manifestations in our daily lives where comparison threatens our creativity. And as teachers, I think it's so important to be influences who foster our students' creativity rather than those who neglect it. So, friends, those are three little takeaways from Brene Brown's The Gifts of Imperfection. I could obviously talk about this book for hours, but you'll have to be content with this 20-ish minutes for right now. (laughs) Let's share a toast before we move on with our day, shall we? Studio music teacher, friends from all over the world, I hope something I said today sparked curiosity or a sense of exploration in you. As Brene says repeatedly in her writing, these are lifelong pursuits. (laughs) There will be seasons where we are better at these things than others. May we all continue to notice when we are sabotaging our own well-being. And may we be conduits in helping our students build resilience and creativity and wholehearted lives. It's a tall order, and we certainly can't do it alone, but today we recommit to doing our best. Cheers to you and your pursuit of a wholehearted teacher life. Here, here. That's a wrap on episode 131 of the Beyond Measure podcast. If you would like to help me celebrate my recent birthday, because yeah, I just turned 41, please consider going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a written five-star review of this show. I read every single one of them, and they all help more potential studio teacher friends find the show. Plus, I'll let you know, it puts a smile on my face for at least a solid 24 hours. (laughs) 
There are all kinds of good things awaiting you in the show notes for this episode, so be sure to check those out right in your podcasting app of choice, or you can head to christinawhitlock.com slash episode 131 to see all that good stuff. (laughs) Until next week, friends, onward and upward. Thank you.